We'll be reading again from Amos chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Amos chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. We'll just read through verse 3. We want to look at some details we weren't able to cover this morning. This morning we looked at the fact that God details the upcoming judgment in precise fashion as he talks uh, through Amos to the people of Samaria. And we understand the details of this judgment are in precise, exact fulfillment of his conditions as laid out in Deuteronomy chapter 28. So we understand this was not a flash-in-the-pan, angry response from God that he mentioned through Amos. This, of course, was laid out centuries before. And, of course, the, the takeaway on that is God means what he says in his word. And this is what God says in his word in a hundred years of cultural change. Hundreds of years of cultural change did not change uh, his word. And so we understand the things that are listed throughout the remainder of this passage of scripture are outlined in Deuteronomy chapter 28. However, historical background of the area provides even more information concerning the consequences of ignoring God, and it's in two or three details that's in the opening verses that we read this morning, and that's Amos chapter one, uh, 4, beginning in verse 1. Amos chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring wine, let us drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness. Behold, the day shall come upon you when he will take you away with fish hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. You will go out through broken walls, each one straight ahead of her, and you will be cast into Harmon, says the Lord. Let's pray together, please. Father, thank you for your word, and we ask as we look at your word, we would see the application today. Help us to realize your word remains relevant and true and straightforward from generation to generation. And we ask, Father, that our generation would know this well, and that we would be that remnant who follows you despite any other cultural change in our society. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Two things we look at just in these verses, and that's first of all the immediate consequences of uh, ignoring God. First of all, it says in verse 3, you will go out through broken walls, each one straight ahead of her, and you'll be cast into Harmon, says the Lord. Of course, we understand these were the wealthy elite. These were those who were the top of the uh, economic uh, ladder, so to speak. So they lived in gated communities, if you want to put it that way. They lived behind walled compounds in walled cities. And this verse speaks of total destruction of the cities when he says, you will go out through broken walls, each one straight ahead of her. And what he's talking about is when the enemy comes, when they're surrounded by these hostile nations, the destruction would be so complete. There will be so many breaches in the wall that to get out of the wall, you won't have to go find the gate. You just find a spot and go straight through it. Wherever you are, there's so many breaks in the wall, you can be pulled straight through the wall. So what they had trusted in, their palaces, their fortresses, as it could be uh, interpreted, 
These things are broken down. But then they were subject to extreme cruelty. As you look here, it says you're, you will be taken away with fish hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. This is mentioned again in Habakkuk chapter 1, and we've mentioned this before. This is not poetic, figurative language. An ancient Assyrian inscription speaks of catching the king of Sidon like a fish and cutting off his head. Assyrian artwork shows two captain rulers on a leash with rings in their lips. And further research reveals that when the Assyrians took whole groups of people captive, what they would do is they would form what we would call a trot line with hooks on it. And they would get each captive and they would put a big hook through their nose or in their jaw. And they would be attached to that line and the person behind them would be attached with another hook through their nose or through their jaw. And the other one behind them would be attached the same way. So you have a line of people with hooks in their jaw, in their nose, marching away captive. It was brutal. It was horrible. And bear in mind, as we mentioned this morning, these were the pampered ladies of Bashan or Bashan of Samaria. These were those who had never had a hardship. These are those who told their husbands, bring us more to drink. They didn't want to get up. They didn't want to get up and go in the other room. I think you've seen the commercial about the little kid who calls his grandmother in the other room of the house and she goes and answers the phone. He says, could you bring me another grape soda? And he's in the next room. He didn't want to get up and go get his grape soda. They didn't even want to get up. So here are these pampered ladies of Bashan being led away with hooks through their lips or with their jaw. Extreme cruelty being pulled through the holes in the wall. Now, I'm reminded, I, I think, uh, of a, the line of a song that was quoted here very recently. Sin will take you further than you want to go. And it says sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. They ignored God year after year, generation after generation, sin upon sin, and it cost them unimaginable immediate consequences. Well, what could be worse for this? Well, consequences for future generations. Now, look real close. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan or Bashan, who are on the mountain of where? Samaria. Samaria. That would not mean a lot until we get into the New Testament and start looking at the New Testament. And let me give you the history from this time forward and where we got some of the New Testament passages of Scripture. In 2 Kings chapter 17, it speaks of the king of Assyria who took captives of the area of Samaria. It says he took Samaria captivity. Now his own writings tell of the fact that he took 27,000. So we know he did not take the whole area captive. He didn't take every single person and leave it just completely uninhabited by humans. He took 27,000 people. And then, of course, later on in the same chapter of 2 Kings, it says he repopulated it with Assyrians. And you'll find this in 2 Kings chapter 17. This happened at about 722 B.C., about 40 years or so after this was written. So we understand he is warning Samaria that they will be taken captives. Well, we understand 2 Chronicles does in, in, 
deed revealed that there was a remnant left behind. They were, of course, introduced with all of these Assyrians, Gentiles, non-Jewish people who came and repopulated the area. These two groups, of course, intermarried. Because who did normally they take captive? Men of fighting age. So all of the young men were taken out, leaving behind all of the women and the aged in the area. Then the Assyrians repopulated the area with their own non-Jewish people. These two groups intermarried and their descendants become what is known as the Samaritans. These became social outcasts in their own country because Samaria was well within the boundaries of the Hebrew nation. These were Hebrew people. But we understand because of the sin of the people in the Samaritan region, all these men were taken away. All these other men were moving in from the Assyrian countries and their descendants were social outcasts. Later on in Ezra, as it talks about they're wanting to rebuild the wall. Hebrew people of mixed lineage came to help. And the other Jewish people told him, we don't want your help. We don't need your help. Even as soon as that, 70 years later, they did not accept their help. They were social outcasts. By the time of Jesus' ministry, the Samaritans were forbidden in the inner courts of the temple. They were treated as Gentiles. Their offerings were accepted as you would accept the offering from a non-Jewish person, even in Jerusalem. Marriage to a Samaritan was forbidden from a Hebrew person. Social interaction was forbidden. You remember when Jesus was at the well in Samaria and he was talking to the woman at the well and she was shocked. She said, I can't believe you're talking to me. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They won't even talk to you in a social setting in the street. And then the disciples came up. They had gone to get lunch and they saw Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman. They were horrified, but nobody dared ask him about it. But they were uh, taken aback because of it. Jews were even reluctant to say the word in any positive light. You remember the parable that Jesus spoke of a man who was beat up and robbed and left on a road. This was mentioned in Luke chapter 10. And he said, by chance, a Levite came along, looked at him, he passed by on the other side. And then a priest came along, he looked at him, he moved on without helping him. And finally, finally, a man stopped to help. And Jesus said, he was a Samaritan. And here's what he did. He, he went and he looked on him and he bound him up and he put him on his own beast and he took him to the inn. He did all these wonderful things and he said, who do you think was neighbor to the one who was robbed? And one of the Jewish people didn't pipe up and say, it was the Samaritan. He said, it would have to be the one that showed mercy. Didn't even want to say the word. But they did say the word. They did say the word when it was going to be an insult. In, Luke, in John chapter 8, verse 48, the Jewish people have Jesus and they've got him in a, in a debate and they're just livid at the things that he's saying. They say, didn't we say you're a Samaritan and have a demon? 
They knew he wasn't a Samaritan. They knew where he was from. So when you really wanted to call somebody a bad name, you just pointed at him and say, you're a Samaritan. You see, that's the way the Samaritans were treated. Animosity and anger on both sides. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus was going to Jerusalem. And he wanted to pass through the region of Samaria. So he asked if he could pass through and of course would probably have to stay and, and get some hospitality. And because he was going to Jerusalem, the Samaritans said, we don't want any part of you. And they wouldn't let him go through. Then the disciples, like any good compassionate Hebrew would say, Lord, do you want us to call fire down on them like Elijah did? We'll just wipe them out. You see, that's the bad blood that was between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. Now, where did it all start? It all started centuries before when people began to think they could ignore God's rules of conduct. And they could ignore God's rules of worship. And it affected their own generation, but watch this. It had affected the rest of the upcoming generations for centuries. When did all this start to heal? When did all this start to go away? Well, with the gospel. When Jesus talked to the disciples right before he ascended, he said this, you'll be witnesses for me in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Then in Acts chapter 8, it says all the disciples were scattered and some went down to Samaria preaching the gospel. It says that Philip, specifically went to Samaria and preached the gospel to the Samaritans. And so when did all the healing and all these differences start to, start to be erased? It started to be erased when the gospel was introduced. Then Jews, Gentiles, and Samaritans would all be in the same church and would all love each other and would all serve God together. Isn't that something? that we see in this passage of scripture, the horrible consequences of sin throughout all generations until what? The gospel. And then when the gospel comes, then all the healing starts to take place and these differences are erased. That's a picture of the gospel in all cultures, where the gospel in all cultures and in all lives can erase the horrible consequences of sin. But the lesson is there. We decide as a country that God's word has no place in our society. It will cause suffering for our generation. It will cause suffering for all further generations. Our conduct has consequences for our kids, grandkids, their grandkids for many years down the road. Very sobering fact. They should cause us to pause when we make our choices about God's word. Is there anything before we close?